0: as this is Abdul Ham Murphy and you are listening to Heartwork, The Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al-Ghazali's Ulum al-Din, The Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al-Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Qur'an, hadith of the Prophet wasallam, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real-life examples. At roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics focusing on social and spiritual growth your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org/sustain and please honor us with a visit to Dallas Texas welcome home welcome home everybody we got new furniture. I you guys like the chairs. Are the chairs all used up? Yes or no? Are there any in the back? If there's any, we can just pass them to someone who's standing, inshallah. You got one or two. Don't make this like the airport, you know, where like there's really every seat is not a seat. There's really just one seat, and then people take up their one, and then they sit in between, or they don't sit in between. Try to get close, inshallah. You know, the, the, the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that make space. Allah will make space for you, and so this is, you know, a beautiful verse that talks about and indicates um, when a person gets over their ego and gets over their, um, you know, their pride and they allow for more because that's one of the things that blocks us from inclusiveness. When we're exclusive, it's a manifestation of arrogance, right? Obviously, there are certain things that are exclusive because that's the nature of, like, your work. Like, you can't include certain people in conversations because of Privacy and whatnot But when it comes to social, spiritual, religious gatherings When certain things are When people are pushed away right? The reality is that's actually one of the languages of arrogance So we want to be more inclusive That's the idea uh, And the Quran promises that uh, you know, لكم, That if you make space Then Allah will make space for you Where? In Jannah You're going to show up to the gates of Jannah And you're going to see it like packed with people And you're going to wonder like Man, is there any space for me? And maybe like the angel will say, yeah, that one night at Roots, you like, you scooted over like six inches. Just to indicate to the person, hey, you can sit next to me on this cold concrete. And the angel says, because of that, Allah has given you paradise. Right? So we ask Allah Ta'ala to give us space in Jannah. Right? And never ever let your ego get in the way of welcoming people. Okay, so we are, alhamdulillah, we are in this, uh, in the middle of this third section on the importance of the tongue, and we talked a little bit last week about some of the categories. What did we talk about last week? What are some of the categories that we should be careful with when it comes to what we say about people or how we talk about somebody? Anybody? What did we say? Just off your memory. Doesn't have to be exact. Yes, Samia, right? Yes. Yeah, beautiful, mashallah. Just like like you have a choice when you talk about somebody. We all have a choice. There's a fork in the road, and in that fork in the road, we decide if we want to say something good about somebody or bad. And it's become really common and very popular. Uh, maybe part of our culture is like we're like hypercritical and very cynical and negative, for the for the sake of saying like we keep it real. But in reality, like in a lot of ways, um, people like to marinate. And the negativity of others, perhaps because it makes them feel better about their own flaws. Allah knows best why we do that. So it's an internal issue. So whenever someone's name comes up in a conversation and you have an opportunity to say something, make sure you always choose the good stuff, even if there's something that you could say. And it might be true, but guess what? Just like Samia said, whatever you have to say about somebody that's true about them There's probably a lot more and other things that people could say about you that's also true. And so if we become a community where we're always talking about the negative things about each other, it's not like we're lying. Like people could say things about you and they could say things about me and you could say things about me. And it's all truthful technically, but what's the benefit? What virtue is being established? In fact, nothing. We're just tearing apart the fabric of our community. But when you say something nice about somebody, it can inspire such change and such... Beautiful inner feelings within them we were playing this game yesterday with a group of friends called uh, we 're not really strangers. you guys heard of this game before okay so it 's kind of uncomfortable, but basically the game is that there 's a box of cards there 's three levels, and you pick a card, and there 's a prompt and you 're sitting there with a group of people and so the prompt could be something like what 's one thing you admire about me and then you go around the circle and like everyone shares like one thing, and then the next person picks a card and says like what 's one thing that you uh, you know, what's one moment that meant something between you and I in our friendship? And everyone goes around the circle. And it's really interesting because this is, a, this is the state of the world that we're in where we need, like, to pay $29.99 at Target to have these conversations. Like, we can't just sit down and have these conversations for free. We need to make sure someone, like Hasbro, has to make money off this, right? And subhanAllah, like, we were playing it yesterday, and there was just a lot of these really, really revealing moments About people that I have been friends with and I've spent time with, and I thought I knew them really well, and I did, and I do, and I did. But the things that they shared were so beautiful about how they felt about each other, and you saw people, you know, saying moments that like, I respect you so much because of this. You have this trait. You're so hospitable. No matter what, you're always taking care of people, etc. And the people, like, it got emotional. People started tearing up. Who's cutting onions, right? And it's one of those things where, again, if you, if you choose to focus on the good, the amount of good that you're pushing forward is, is... you can't even really account for it. Very good. What else? What did we talk about last week? Anybody? Yeah, Murray. Be careful with giving advice. It's probably better to stay quiet in a way versus saying something that might hurt someone turn them away. Yes. When you give advice... You have to do like an assessment, you have to figure out whether or not the advice is going to be taken, whether or not it's going to be listened to, whether or not you're the right person to give the advice, okay? You might have a good read and analysis on the situation, but you might not be the right person, or you might be the right person, but it may not be the right time, or maybe the person just simply isn't ready for it, regardless of person or time. Right? And so when you give advice, a lot of times we give advice for the sake of I have to articulate the truth, I have to let this person know, I have to do this. But actually in those moments we have to be careful, we're not giving advice for selfish reasons, to make ourselves correct. Right? There are things that you will see in the lives of people where you are right. You could be the person that goes and tells them and advises them, but in reality, subhanAllah, if you do that, it'll do nothing but push you away. So what was the end result? What was reached? What goal was obtained? Nothing. Maybe it's worth being a little bit more careful, waiting it out, seeing what the situation uh, looks like in a few days or a few weeks, and then playing accordingly with that. Or perhaps it's about making du'a for that person when they don't know and asking Allah to help guide them instead of you being the one that has to maybe uh, give them that advice. Anyone else? Last before we start? Yeah, Nama. Yeah, very good. So the the best believer, uh Men Salim al Muslimuna, Min the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi that the be- other believers, other Muslims are not afraid of this person physically, like they don't have to worry about this person physically, they don't worry about getting, you know, like physically hurt or physically abused, right? Of course. And then he says, right, uh من لسانه ويديد, or their mouth, their tongue. That they don't have to worry that when I leave this gathering, what are people going to say about me? Right? If I make a mistake, what's this person going to say? Right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about how to accomplish this uh, uh, today. So we finished last week, we finished on this section, um, the end of this page leading to the next one, 35. Enes said that Allah's messenger never faced anything or anyone with anything that was displeasing to them. For the hurt comes immediately from the informant and only indirectly from where? The original speaker. This is a very, very interesting trait. And there's a story that goes with this. The Prophet ﷺ, after the opening of Mecca, uh, you know, who is, who is uh, one of the greatest enemies of Islam that we know, like documented? What are some of the names that come to mind? Abu Lahab. Fir'aun. Uh, there, he's a Fir'aun of Islam. Abu Lahab, right? Okay, who else? Abu Sufyan. Well, he, he converted to Islam. But during the time, right, he was, earlier on, but he accepted Islam. Anyone else? Yeah. Abu Jahl, very good, right? So we got Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl, like, this guy is so bad that even Musa hates him, my son, right? <laughs> my son hates two people so far, three. He hates Firaun, because his name is Musa, so I had to kind of tell him the whole story. Uh, he hates Abu Lahab, because they memorize Surah Al-Masad. Uh, a little bit early for five-year-olds in Islamic school. Uh, Musa's like, yeah, she's gonna be punished with a rope of fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like what on earth? You need to remember Surah rahman um, So there's that, and then Abu Jahl, Abu Jahl, right? Because again, when we tell our kids stories of the Sirah, and again, I'm not like he took the insides of an animal and he dumped them on. The, I just say, you know, he bullied the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Musa's like, why would he do that? And I'm like, because he's a bad guy. He's like, well, I hate him. I'm like, good, right? <laughs> so we talk about Abu Jahl, right? He's, he's basically, subhanAllah, he's equivalent, you know, with, uh, I mean, the Prophet ﷺ said that he was a Pharaoh for his ummah. I mean, He was a tyrant. I mean, he was so, I mean, horrible in the way that he treated Muslims, hunting them, harassing them, terrorizing them. I want you to think of the worst traits of a person that you can think of. Abu Jahl had those. And Abu Jahl's son, his name was ikrama ikrama bin Abi Jahl was his son. And just like his dad, for a large portion of his life, he engaged in this behavior. He did the same thing. He would torture, he would ridicule, he would harass. He would, it was a sport, right? If they were Muslim, we would hunt them, we would fight them. Now, after the opening of Mecca, you have the Prophet in a very interesting moment in his life. He's encountering and he's engaging with people that have spent the last two decades trying to kill him. Okay, so you have people, he's meeting them face to face. These are the people that have plotted and planned to kill him and to kill the Muslims. How do you respond in that moment? What do you do? So the Prophet ﷺ, he had a very, you know, of course, he had the perfect way of handling everything. He was somebody that would give them chances. He would allow them the ability to come back. And with ikramah, he actually, personally, invited Ikrima to accept Islam. He wanted him to know that just because your dad was who he was, and just because you happened to be his son, like, that doesn't make you guilty by association, subhanAllah. And so, when he was talking to some family members of Ikrima, he asked, he said, where did he go? They said, he fled. He ran away. As soon as he saw the Muslims arrive, he's like, I'm done. So he left. And he, and he, he ran to the south, right? The southeast, and he's trying to escape. And the Prophet ﷺ said, go get him and tell him that he's safe. Like he doesn't, I'm not going uh, like, you know, to torture or kill or like, I'm not going to make an example out of him. All the leaders thought that, okay, this is now the time where Muhammad ﷺ is going to come and make an example out of us. Right? In front of everybody. That if anyone tries to mess with the Muslims, this is what happens. So he told one of Erkan's family members, take my shawl, take my garment, take my t- like the turban or the shawl that he used to tie, and go and show him that I got this from the Prophet himself. And I want you to show it to him because he's not going to believe you, right? He's not going to believe you, so show it to him. So eventually this family member goes and tracks Ekramah down and finds Ekramah on a boat. Ekramah was about to go sailing for an indefinite amount of time. He's about to dip. Because he's like, I would rather just get on this boat and leave than have to deal with what the Muslims are going to do to me. Somehow, way, he's convinced to come back. He doesn't believe it. But his, his relative says, look... You have to understand, like the Prophet ﷺ specifically asked for you. Specifically. So they bring him back, and as he's approaching, he's walking in. I want you guys to imagine this gathering, okay? Like right now. We're here. And I want you to imagine like someone just starts walking in. And this person is like an enemy, enemy, enemy of Islam. You know what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says? He quickly tells everybody, while the Eqrama is still out of earshot, he tells everybody, don't mention his father. Don't mention his father because he says the words of the living don't hurt the dead. They only hurt the living. If you talk about his dad right now, and he's in, such a, he's in such a precarious moment in his life, what benefit is it to call him the son of Abu Jahl? Don't even say his last name. Don't even refer to him by that because we don't want to put salt on the wound. It's enough that he lost It's enough that his father was who he was. He'll never be able to change that. That's something he can't control. He's coming back. He's accepting Islam. He's going to become your brother. Your job is to accept him and not to bring up. This is an exact example. The words of the living never reach the dead. They only hurt the living. It's the same. The words of the people that deliver this bad news, they hurt anyone who hears them. And the Prophet ﷺ, he actually said in the hadith, he said that, The mu'min, the believer, does never ever hurt someone with their words. They never bully. This is very interesting, man, because when we think of what it means to be religious, we think of religion as being practice, piety, devotion, tahajjud, Quran, right? The way we dress. And it is. It is a lot of that, right? There's no doubt. But a layer of devotion to Allah is how we treat each other, how we talk. The Prophet ﷺ said that a mu'min never bullies, never curses, and never uses fahish, fawahish. Never uses the, le- you know what fahish is? It's hard to define. One of my teachers defined it really well. He said it's the words that when you hear them as a child, you go, ooh. You remember those words? The words that we all use now, may Allah forgive us, right? Those really bad words, right? And they become normal because of pop culture, because of music and movies and whatever, friends. And we start to use these words. But remember when you were a child, how your heart rate would literally double if somebody said that word? Remember the first time you heard a curse word? And now it's so, it's like, it's like liquid. It's like rolls off the tongue so easily. May Allah protect us. He said the mu'min never uses these words, okay? So this is from the characteristics, and especially especially when it comes to how we talk about people, how we talk to people, all right? When we have to, when we, are, when we are up against the wall and that conversation has to happen, we do it in a way that dignifies them and us. Because when you take away someone's dignity without realizing it, you're also lowering your own status. You're also taking away from your own status. It's remarkable when you meet someone and the way they talk about even the worst person is honorable. Right? The prophet Saul said him, he meets these two highway robbers and they're like, we're the worst. And he's like, no, you're the best. Just stop stealing. That's what he tells them. Because why? When, when an honorable person meets anybody, they can't help but be honorable with them. Right? They praise them. They give them so much. I remember when I was first, in my first couple years of studying, I met like a big, big sheikh. And he met me and he said, Sheikh Abdul rahman And I was like, what? And then Sheikh Abdul al pulled me to the side and he's like, he doesn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, he's not being literal. This is just a way of him, you know, being nice to you. And I was like, oh, cool, okay. But that's what he was trying to say. That sheikh, that scholar, was so honorable. That... In his eyes, he's like, you're a sheikh. And all I did was make chai for him. And I remember he took a sip and he's like, the Gaurasam can make chai. He was shocked. (laughs) The white white dude can make chai. He was shocked. But he he referred to me at a level that I was nowhere near. Why? Because honorable people only use honorable words when they talk about people. Right? May Allah make us amongst those people. Then he says, of course, you should not hide any praise you may hear for the pleasure in it is received directly from the conveyor, of the compliment as well as indirectly from the original source. We talked about this. Being a person that doesn't hide good news, okay? The Prophet ﷺ said, if you love somebody, tell them. If you have love for somebody, make sure you tell them, praise them. If you see something good in somebody, make sure that you say it, right? This is something that we have to re-instill in the community. Anything that you see, that you think is something good, there's no, there's no culture in Islam of being afraid that, oh, it's gonna, it's gonna inflate this person's ego. No, just say, mashallah, you look really great. Masha'Allah, you s- t- the way you handled that situation was so wonderful. And subhanAllah, I promise you this. If you start to speak nicely to people and about people and compliment people, there is an internal level of satisfaction that you will feel that you don't get anywhere else. It's like giving gifts. If you like giving gifts, then you'll love giving compliments. And compliments are cheaper than gifts. All right? <laughs> Little maiman tip for you there. Okay, so. Where's Rimo? <laughs> All right? So he says, in short, you should keep silent about any speech unpleasant to this person. If you know that this speech is unpleasant, just don't talk about it, okay? In general and particular, unless you are obliged to speak to promote good and prevent evil. And even then, only if you can find no valid excuse for saying nothing. In such cases, you don't need to worry about the disapproval, since what you do is beneficial to them when it's rightly understood. Meaning what? They'll eventually come to appreciate it. They'll eventually come to understand, even if it looks bad at first sight. So this is Imam Ghazali, classic, this is how scholars operate. They will always give you the default and then they'll give you the exception. So the default here is what? Be nice, be kind. If you can't say something nice, right? billahi akhir khair liyasmut. Whoever believes in Allah on the last day, say good or say nothing at all, okay? This is the default. Now, there is an imperative in the religion. There's an imperative that when you see something that's wrong and you know that it's wrong and you know that you have the, the, the opportunity to help fix that, to remedy it, to remediate the situation, that you are allowed to do so, even if it's not the sweetest of conversations because eventually the person will come to appreciate it. Okay? Because eventually they will come to appreciate it. Okay? So again, this is an exceptional thing. Meaning what? For every 99 times that you talk to somebody, you should be using the default. And then maybe once every few months you engage in this kind of conversation. Don't be the person that's walking around, right? Don't be like Gordon Ramsay with your friends. Don't be like the one that's walking around critiquing everybody, giving people one-star reviews on Amazon. Don't be that person, right? Make sure that for every one-star review you give, you've already given 105 stars. Make sure you've already praised them enough. One of my teachers used to say, with anybody, he used to say it's about parenting. He said, when you become a parent, when you talk to your children, only critique them for every five times that you've appreciated them. Everyone here is like silent tears. (laughs) What would that be like, right? (laughs) They're like, wait, repeat that again? Five criticisms for every one praise? No. He said, only critique your kids once for every five times that you've praised them or you've appreciated them, right? So that means what? Like in a day... You got to start strong, you have to start positive positive. and wallahi as a father now I see it. I see it sets the tone. It sets the tone. Even when you write a text message or an email to somebody and there's something wrong, you see it, you know, right? For those of you, this is the young professionals halaqah, for those of you that are working in the social world and you see how to interact with people, you know that if you become that person that only, you only focus on the negative, then you're never going to win the hearts of anybody, ever. So if you have to engage in this, make sure that the person feels like it's so shocking that you did it. Like, not in a bad way, but they're like stunned. Like, oh man, this person is usually so, like, they're so gracious. If they feel this way, they must really, really care. They must, it must be something very serious, okay? As for mentioning the misdeeds and faults and the misdeeds of his family, this is slander and unlawful for respect to every Muslim. Two things should turn you from it. So this is talking about now their misdeeds in a group of people or their family. So subhanAllah in Islam, we have this idea of if you love someone, by extension of your love for them, you respect who they love. Does that make sense? So if you love somebody, even if you don't necessarily have a relationship with their sibling or their mom or their dad, when we talked about last week, in-laws. I tell a lot of couples, you get married... It's not open season on, their, on, on the girl's parents or the guy's parents, right? That's still somebody that this person loves. And if you want to love this person, you have to, by extension, you got to be smart. And you have to not mention the, the character flaws of these people, even if they're true. Because what are you doing? You're only hurting the person that's hearing it, right? There's no wisdom. Wallahi, there's no wisdom. Again, subhanAllah. All right. So... Let me turn this one on and see how it goes. We have chai, but no batteries. Okay. So so he says, two things should turn you away from this. Number one, examine your own condition. Look at yourself. If you find that there is one blameworthy thing with you, then be tolerant with what you see in your brother or sister. If you find one thing wrong with yourself, Then, what's the response? Okay, I gotta be quiet now. This is basically a practical joke Imam Ghazali's playing on us. He's like, You shouldn't have any opportunity then to talk about anybody. Okay? It may be that he is unable to control himself or herself in that particular characteristic, just like you have your own situations that you can't control yourself. You know what I mean? For some people, anyone here friends with someone who's chronically late? Don't look at them. That's so mean. Everyone's <laughs> literally looking at them. That's so bad. you have got to start from the beginning. Wallahi, well, I asked that question, the entire room looked at someone. Allah. <laughs> <laughs> Say astaghfirullah. <laughs> That's bad. Okay? Look. So now that we've established that you have a chronically late friend, okay, or you have someone that, you know, that there's something. Look. There are some character flaws that are just, it's, it's universal, it's understandable, it's known that this is something that this person maybe struggles with, okay? And for a lot of people, I'm going to defend you for a second, late people. For a lot of people, it's not because you don't care, but it's because you, 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 too, you try to do too much. Really, you try to fit in way too much into your schedule. And the reality is, with five minutes here, ten minutes there now all of a sudden you're 30 minutes late to the thing that you should have gone to it in, 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 the, in the evening time, right? Okay? So just like there's that person that's late chronically, you might be the person that can't hold yourself back when there's chocolate cake. Oh, interesting. All the people that looked at someone look down now. There's a weird correlation here. People who can't control themselves around sweets are friends of late people, Right? Or, you could be the person that can't control your tongue. Maybe you can't hold back. Maybe you have a temper problem. Or, maybe you're the person that looks at your phone when someone's talking to you. Right? I mean, I can go on and on because the reality is that all of us are going to, something's going to hit at some point. Right? So what is Imam Ghazali saying? He's saying that when you, when you are sitting there and your friend is meeting you for dinner and they told you, on my way, And you check, you know, you you call them and you hear that they're, they just flushed the toilet or something, right? (laughs) And it's clear they're not on their way. You have two options. You can either really dig in and start to go off on them, or you can think to yourself, has there ever been a time when I've done something that bothered my friends? Has there ever been a situation when I was this person? Not that I was late, maybe. If if you have been late, that's even better because you can relate one to one. But has there been a trait where I've made a mistake? Where I've made a flaw. al Appreciate it. Okay. So that's the next thing. He says, just like you struggle, they struggle. So don't be too heavy on them on account of the blameworthy trait. What person is completely upright? What person is perfect? Wherever you find yourself lacking in your duty to Allah, do not expect as much from your brother in their duty to you. Ah, this is amazing. So he says, even if you're perfect with your friends, have you ever missed a prayer before? Have you ever done something wrong? Have you disobeyed Allah? So he says, if you disobey, oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay, I might need some more batteries, so if you guys can find some. These ones might die soon anyways, so, unless they're brand new. So he says, if you are disobedient to Allah, then you will actually find yourself, you should be able to find yourself with a deficiency, and why do you expect perfection from your friends if you're not perfect with Allah? Essentially what he's saying here over and over again is, man, be gracious. Like, just be merciful. You want Allah to be merciful to you? Then you've got to be merciful to people. You guys remember the story of Abu Bakr and his nephew Mustah? We told the story before. I'll bring it up here because it's perfect. Mustah, his nephew, during a horrible time in the life of Abu Bakr, one of the worst times of his life, his daughter is being slandered. A horrible thing is said about her and it's being perpetuated. And Mustah, unfortunately, makes the mistake of jumping in the, 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 the chain of narration. And he unfortunately kind of like includes... You know, he, he perpetuates the story. Not, not that he believes it, but he's like, wow, crazy story, crazy rumor, right? So the, Abu Bakr al Siddiq is, is giving him money and he decides to cut him off. He says, You said that about my daughter, your cousin? You said that about her? Get lost. I'm not going to pay you anymore. Allah reveals in relation to this incident a verse where he speaks to Abu Bakr al Siddiq radiallahu anhu. He says, Forgive and overlook would you not like that Allah ta'ala forgave you so there might be something that your friend or your companion has done to you somebody in your life and honestly you might have every reason not to forgive them like you might have a legitimate case but one thing that we believe as muslims is that the more you forgive the more you're forgiven right and the opposite is true man la yarham la yurham whoever does not show mercy to people mercy will not be shown to them Never, ever try to make your relationships transactional, one-for-one. I'm only going to invite them if they invite me. I'm only going to talk to them if they talk to me. No. We interact on the basis of, this is what it means to love someone for the sake of Allah. It sounds like an insult. I only love you for the sake of Allah. No, it's actually the highest level of love. What it means is, no matter how many mistakes you make or I make, I love you for Allah's sake, it's not going to change our relationship. It doesn't matter if you, if you wronged me or I wronged you. That's human. That's what it means to be human. But I love Allah so much that I'm going I'm to try to write how I treat you and how you. Tr- I'm going to try to forgive how you treated me because I love you for Allah's sake. Not, I don't love you like a business partner. I love you for the sake of the one who created us both. Right? So he says, What person is completely upright? Wherever you find yourself lacking your duty to Allah, do not expect much from your brother or sister and their duty to you. For your right over them is not greater than God's right over you. The second is that you know that you were t- if you were to seek for someone free of all blemish, you would, ex- you would exhaust the entire creation without ever finding a companion. If you tried to find someone perfect, you're going to be very lonely. So we shouldn't have these high standards of saying that, oh my God, if this person did something wrong, I can never talk, to I'm going to cut them out my life. There are exceptional scenarios where a person's character might be so hurtful that, yes, he's going to say this as well, isolating yourself might be the right move. Exceptional, though. That's like a, it's a rare scenario. It's not everybody. If, if you find yourself or your friends like acting like you're the judges on Chopped, <laughs> trying to just remove people at any mistake, any flaw, that's a very high-stress environment to be in, Right? And sometimes social circles, they're kind of like that. I know we should never have watched this, may Allah forgive us, but Mean Girls <laughs> is like a very accurate depiction, may Allah forgive us. Right? For our Jahiliya days. It is so incredible how that culture of like basically being in a social environment or amongst a social group can be like an interview process. Right? And if you don't if you don't fit in, then like, or if you don't pass the test, then you're not going to get invited. Or we're going to cut you out at the first mistake that you make, or whatever. This is not from Islam. The Prophet one of the most remarkable things that he was able to do was he was able to unite people who were at war with each other. They literally were killing each other. And I want you to understand, Salman al-Farisi was a Persian. Salman al-Farisi came to Medina as a Persian. The Arabs hated Persians and the Persians hated them back and he comes and arrives in Medina and when he accepts Islam and tells his story and when they're talking about digging a trench and they're talking about who's going to separate who, the Prophet says, alright, we got to build a trench for this war, the battle of the trench. And he says, and by the way, the trench, whose idea was it? It was Sadman's idea. So they're sitting there, all these Arabs are sitting there and they're like, what do we do? They're coming. All the tribes have united against us, we're done. And Salman says, well, there's one thing we used to do in Persia, right? And everyone's, they're like, cool with it. They're like, all right, Persia, sounds interesting. Kubi day, all day, right? (laughs) None of them are like, don't talk about Persia. You know how we feel. They're like, all right, what was the idea? He said, well, we used to dig a trench around our city. And in that way, we would always have defense. We would always have a, a barrier between us and the enemy. It would save us from casualties. And so then the Prophet, he says, this is a great idea. Let's split teams. How do we split teams? Because it's for good competition. He starts to divide people, the people who were muhajir from Mecca, those who migrated, and the Ansar. And he says, all right, let's see who can win, the Meccans or the Medinans. Now, the problem with Salman is that he doesn't fit into either. Okay? Now, if this guy is Persian and the Arabs hate Persians and all these other guys are Arab, what do you think that they would do? What happens if somebody's last pick in sports, guys? No, I'm asking you, I've never been. I'm joking. I'm joking. What happens? Right? It tries hard, but what happens in that moment when they're trying to figure out whose team this person should go on? Yeah, you can have him, you can have him. Right? Moaz knows. Moaz understands. You guys you know you guys got him. You, oh man, the battery. Oh, there we go. See? There, there's a there's a verse there's subhanAllah. There's a verse in this. Yeah, that was perfect timing, Haytham. You know what's funny? You know what's, you know what's funny? The funny is that we're going to get like tons of donations online for batteries. <laughs> All these people are like, man, Ruth can't pay the bills, man. Allah always provides, man. Take that as a lesson, subhanAllah. Allah will always provide. As long as you have Haytm in your life, Allah will provide. Okay? Mashallah. So, Mu'az knows, you got last pick, they're like, you got next, or you do this, or you do that, right? You go to this team, you go to that team. They instead did the opposite. They were fighting over him. The Ansar were saying, we want him. The Muhajirun were saying, we want him. And the Prophet said, no, I want him. He goes, Salman min Ahl Bayti. Salman minni. He's from my people. He's my family. Right? So that's, can you imagine how psychologically, how Salman felt... Seeing all these people with their affiliations being split in teams, what do you think he's thinking about? As as he's seeing it split, what do you think he's thinking? Come on, guys. I don't fit in. Where do I fit in? I don't fit in, man. I'm not from Mecca. I'm not from Medina. And as each side is being is growing as they're splitting, he's probably dreading the end of this where he has to kind of like, not be on either team. And that's exactly what Islamic community does. When you see someone who's vulnerable in that moment, you don't let them fend for themselves. You stand up for them before they have the opportunity to feel lonely. SubhanAllah, man. And so the, the companions did a great job. And then the Prophet won up everybody. All right? May Allah make us like this, man. SubhanAllah. This is amazing. Okay? So he says, always, right? Always have realize that there is not one human being who does not have both good qualities and bad. And he says, as long as a person's good outweighs their bad, this is a famous quote of Imam Shafi'i that he's quoting here, he's Shafi'i as well. So he says, as long as a person's good outweighs their bad, that's all we can hope for. I want you guys to remember that line. As long as a person's good outweighs their bad. A lot of everyone after this class is going to have the question, how do I decide who to be friends with? This is the, this is your standard. As long as a person's good outweighs their bad. And that's, by the way, a very, inshallah, realistic standard to have. We all have faults. But can you honestly say that this person is really more bad than they are good? And if that person is, then maybe you do have the right to kind of create a little bit of a boundary. And, 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 but again, I find it hard to believe that that person exists in your life. Commonly, maybe exceptionally. As long as a person's good outweighs their bad. The noble believer always keeps present in themselves the good qualities of their brother or sister, so that their heart might be a source of honor, affection, and respect. So all the things that come off the tongue, where do they start? In the heart. The things that you think and feel, you can only hold them inside for so long before they eventually spill out. As for the hypocrite of low character, they are always noticing misdeeds and faults. Okay, this is scary now. You guys ready? How many of us, raise your hand if you've ever noticed there was like a period of your life where you were very critical and you like noticed every fault? Okay? Imam al-Ghazali, thank you for sharing, because listen to this. Imam al-Ghazali shares a quote here from Ibn al-Bawarik where he says that this is a sign of a person's low faith. He says that the believer, when they see the fault, so it's not that the fault doesn't exist. When the believer sees the fault, what do they do? They make excuses for it. When a person sees a mistake, they make excuses for it. They say, okay, you know what? That's fine. But the hypocrite has the microscope. Right? And they're looking for every minuscule mistake with no excuses. There's nothing, there's no reason good enough that this person could have that justify what they did. So, as much as we think this is like a class on like companionship and relationships, this is really affecting our imam. Because, why? How can you be a good believer with your fellow brothers and sisters if you're somebody that's always magnifying on people's faults? You know, it's like when someone walks into somebody's house, what's the first thing you say? Come into someone's apartment for the first time, what do you say? Before you even see, yeah, so nice. I love what you've done with the place. You're still outside. You haven't even seen the inside yet. Okay? That's good. That's a sign that you're a good person. You're a good person. You walk into someone's brand new car, right? Or a brand new used car, whatever it is. Look, it is what it is. Allah make us content with what we have. You go into someone, you see someone's new outfit or whatever. You you see something, you're like, that looks so good. This house looks so nice. This car is so nice. Your haircut's so nice. Whatever, right? That's a good sign. Imagine being the person... That somebody gets a haircut, or someone gets a new car, or someone gets a house, and you walk in and you're like, oh, there's cracks already, (laughs) right? Oh, this car. Do you hear that noise? Is that normal? Oh, the guy messed up your line, dude, right? Maybe he was... Was there an earthquake when you got a haircut? Like, what happened? (laughs) Why is the line off, you know? You need to use the Level app on your iPhone. (laughs) Don't be that person. Don't be that person. And the says that if you're that person... The hypocrites unfortunately constantly revolve around negativity. Ask Allah to protect us. Al Fudayl, he said that manliness, and here I'm going to retranslate manliness, honor and chivalry, being a noble person, male or female, nobility is pardoning the slips of your brothers and sisters. That's true nobility. This is subhanAllah something that even they're teaching like at MBA level management courses now, how to be a person of leadership. And they talk about like, The hypercritical authoritarian leader never succeeds. There's a hadith of the Prophet, by the way. He says uh, uh, um, that the life of the kingdom is based upon the forgiveness of the king. He says the life of the kingdom, meaning like the, the length of the time the king rules, is directly related to the forgiveness. The, the, the pardoning of the king. Which means what? If you're a person that constantly critiques, you're not going to have these relationships for very long. Be someone that pardons. That's true nobility. The Prophet ﷺ also said, seek refuge from God, with God from the bad neighbor who sees some good and conceals it. And sees some bad and reveals it. The Prophet Muhammad ﷺ is warning here, don't surround yourselves with these people because it's not good for your mental health and also don't be one of these people. There is no one at all whose condition cannot be improved in some respects or made worse. Be humble. Be humble when you're with people. When you see things that are off-putting, realize that this person can wake up tomorrow and be better. And in that way they might become better than you. Tradition tells us how a man praised another in the presence of the Messenger So there was a guy who was with the Prophet وسلم, and he praised somebody. Oh, this person's so good. And then the next day, he was in front of the Prophet, he said, this person's the worst ever. So the Prophet him. he looked at him, he said, you praise him one day? Like yesterday, you were, just, you were all about this guy. And now you blame him? Listen to this guy's uh, uh, answer, subhanAllah. He said, Ya Rasulullah, yesterday, I told the truth. I didn't lie. He did something nice, so I praised him. Today, he made me really upset. And so I spoke the worst thing I knew about him. This guy is basically saying, Ya Rasulullah, I am only nice to people when they make me happy. And when they make me upset, I just let loose on these fools. You know what the Prophet Sallallahu said? And this is a very deep lesson. He said, man, reasoned argument can be sorcery, which is an interesting translation. You know, what it, you know what it's supposed to be translated like? Man, you can convince yourself of anything. You can justify anything. When it comes to our behavior... Never fall into the trap of logically justifying everything where you always end up on the right side. Oh, I only said that because of this. Oh, I only responded like that because of this. Oh, I only act like this because they went... I mean, if they didn't act like that, then I wouldn't act like that. That is the... This is the the magic of the person's nafs. The nafs is the greatest lawyer you will ever see. I apologize to those of you who went to SMU Law. Right? (laughs) The greatest lawyer... The nafs will come up with the most elaborate and convincing arguments as to why you're perfect. Just the way you are. Right? And you know, in reality, I have a lot of flaws. Your heart will tell you, you have to work on yourself. Your nafs says, don't worry about it, you're fine. Right? Your heart is your personal trainer. Your nafs is the grocery store. Okay? Your nafs is the bakery. He's, the Prophet here is saying, man, you literally just defended that? SubhanAllah, the Prophet said, you got to work on that, man. Reasoned argument can be sorcery. He evidently disapproved of it since he likened it to sorcery. Thus, he said in another traditional report, abuse and argumentation are the twin branches of hypocrisy. Al-Shafi'i said that there is not one Muslim who obeys Allah without ever transgressing. And there is not one person who transgresses without ever obeying. Meaning everyone has got both sides of the coin. If a man or woman's obedience outweighs their transgressions, then they are considered... Salih. If you do more good in a day than bad, you've won. You won the day. OK? If such a person is accounted righteous in their duty to Allah, then how much, show, how much more should you consider them righteous in their duty to you? OK? Let's go ahead and finish with this. Just as it is incumbent upon you to hold your tongue from mentioning their misdeeds, so you should often observe, so ought you observe silence in your heart. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Just as it is incumbent upon you to hold your tongue from mentioning their misdeeds, you need to also observe silence in your heart. This is done by giving up suspicion, for suspicion constitutes slander in the heart, which is also unlawful. Keep within the bounds by not putting a bad construction on their action, so long as you can see it in a good light. As for what is revealed unmistakably and before your very eyes, so that it is impossible for you not to know about it, You should, if possible, ascribe what you witness to your own absent-mindedness or forgetfulness. Allahu Akbar. This is amazing. What did he say? Number one, you want to stop talking about people? You want to stop backbiting? Stop thinking about people. The more you think about them and the more you reflect about their flaws, when I say stop thinking, I mean stop thinking negatively. Don't let people occupy your heart because what is inside eventually shows. You can only keep it hidden for so long. He said, how do you do this? Number one, stop having suspicions of people. If, someone, if something happens or someone does something, don't try to figure out why. Don't try to figure out what's going on. Don't let your curiosity take the better of you. There was a moment where I saw two people talking recently and one of them told the other one, hey, do you want me to tell you something that I heard? Meaning, like, about you. And you know what the other person said back? I was so impressed by this. Because normally, what would you do? Spill the tea. (laughs) Sis, bro, whatever it is, right? (laughs) You know what this person said back? Listen to how beautiful this is. The person said, Only tell me if it's something that you think will make me better. But if what you want to tell me is something that somebody said, and there's no... There's no prospect of it improving me, just keep it. I don't need to know. I was so impressed by that answer. What thoughtfulness, right? And ultimately this person is saying, I'm not gonna let this, the, the prospect of this thing occupy my heart. The only reason you should tell me is if it's like a legitimate criticism. If this person is saying something and you agree with it, you think there's legitimacy, then tell me. Let me become better. But if you think that this is just gossip for the sake of gossip, and there's really no, it doesn't hold water, don't tell me, man. Just just move on with it, right? So he says, number one, give up suspicion in your heart. Do not put a bad construction to anyone's action. Okay? If you see something that looks really bad, don't think of the negative things first. You see someone carrying something, or doing something, or somewhere that they shouldn't (laughs) be, think of all the reasons that, they could be in a good state in that spot. Remember the, the story I told you last week of the imam who went to the clubs to pick up people? Imagine all the Muslims who saw him at the club. They're like, wow, imam gets down, right? <laughs> They're like, "Allah, right? No, he was there for a different reason, but if people saw him walking on that, on, that, you know, on that street at night, they might have different thoughts, okay? So when you see something, and the Prophet saw something, he warned us of this. He was outside talking to his wife one night, and it was dark, and two companions walked by, and he called them, and he said, I just want you both to know that that was my wife. I wasn't just talking to a random woman in the middle of the night in the street. That was my wife. They said, Ya Rasulullah, we would never, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we would never think that you would be talking to a random woman in the middle of the night. Of course we knew that that was a mahram to you, you know, either your wife or your daughter. Of course. He said, I know that you know that, but shaitan runs through you like blood. Meaning what? You might actually give the person the benefit of the doubt in the beginning, but then on the drive home, you're like, what were they doing? (laughs) And then you scroll and you see something and you're like, oh, that looks really familiar. And then you start to type. And once you start to type and put together locations and all that stuff and try to, that's when you know you've fallen in. Just just let it be, man. Just let it be, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. There are so many experiences as you get older where you learn that your assessment, your suspicion was so off, it's almost embarrassing. And you wonder what kind of heart can assume the worst like that? May Allah cure us. It's a sick heart that assumes bad things, right? It's a beautiful heart that assumes good things, even if you're wrong. If you're wrong about somebody, guess what? You're still a beautiful heart. But if you think something negative about somebody and you're right, you still have a sick heart, right? I would rather be wrong a million times and think of somebody in a good way. Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, he said something really powerful. He said, "I would rather assume incorrectly that thousands of people who were not Muslim were Muslim, than incorrectly assume that one Muslim was not Muslim." I'd rather make that mistake thousands of times over. See someone? alaykum. What? <laughs> How are you? kif <laughs> حالكم? Huh? Takbir, huh? Run away, right? He's like, I'd rather make that mistake thousands of times. Assume that this person is not Muslim, than see one Muslim, and because of their tattoos, or the way they dress, or this or that, assume, are they Muslim or not? Abu Hanifa said, I would never want to make that mistake. Right? Because the sick heart, even if they're right, they still thought something negative. May Allah protect us. So he said that. Then he said, and what you see that is like unmistakable, what you see that is absolutely unmistakable, he said that, even if you saw all the details, and, you can, and, and you're like basically doing the math, he said then think to yourself, you know Abdurrahman, maybe you just, maybe you forgot something. Maybe you saw it wrong. Maybe it was a glare, maybe it was a different day, maybe it was whatever. Maybe you heard incorrectly. Maybe you thought you heard something, but you heard wrong. And give the person the benefit that you made the mistake. Uh, suspicion is formed in two ways, and this is how he explains. He said one is through perception, which is an outward sign. This is a thing that you see that causes you to think. The second is that you have a prejudice against somebody. The person does something, there emanates from them an act, which could be taken any which way, but because of your prejudice against them, it causes you to settle to the worst interpretation of what they're doing, even though there's no legitimate reason for you to think that. Okay, so he says this is an offense against them and against you in the inner, something unlawful with respect to every believer. For the Prophet Muhammad SAW said that Allah has forbidden that one believer manipulates or messes with the blood, property or honor of another or has a bad suspicion of them. And the Prophet SAW said, إِيَّاكْمُ He said that be careful with suspicion because it is the most untruthful and deceitful of lying of reports and suspicion leads to prying and spying okay so we will stop here inshallah i was hoping to finish this section uh we'll stop here we ask allah ta'ala to make us people that always think good of each other and that the thoughts that we have that are good it leads to good speech of one another oh allah we ask you to purify our hearts from thinking negatively of one another oh allah we ask you to purify our tongues and give us the strength to hold our tongues oh allah we ask you that anything that we said that was damaging to the honor of another believer. Oh Allah, we ask you to forgive us for that. Oh Allah, we ask you to realign uh, and mend the relationships that we have with one another. So that we truly live this faith in the community that you designed this, this beautiful religion to be. O oh, Allah, we ask you to protect our honor, to protect our eyes, to protect our ears, and to protect our mouths. From maligning and, and, and misaligning the honor of others. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Jazakum Allah khairan everybody. Uh, just a couple of announcements real quick. The first is... Um, we had uh, the chairs you're sitting on, there's 200 of them that came with dollies. Uh, we had two people donate them. They were about $8,000. And we had two people step in and donate, alhamdulillah. And they don't want me to announce who they are or whatever. They're actually not even from here. One's from Chicago, one's from the Bay Area. Um, but they did ask that we make dua for them. Um, you know, and so I made dua. I said, may Allah ta'ala reward you for every, uh, for every person that sits in them and that attends a gathering and that listens or learns you know, may Allah Ta'ala reward them for that. Uh, because these are going to be used obviously for all kinds of things. Um, so we ask Allah Ta'ala to accept. We also have uh, another announcement which is that inshallah, this Friday I'm leaving for Jerusalem. For Masjid Al-Aqsa inshallah. We're taking 158 people with us uh, to go and to pray in the Masjid and Masjid Al-Aqsa and to let the Palestinians, uh, you know, our people uh, know that we love them and that we're there for them. Uh, despite all the oppression and the difficulty that they, uh, subhanAllah, that they experience. You know, when we go to Palestine, they always say the same thing They say that we feel like the orphans of the Ummah They say everyone goes from Mecca and Medina Nobody comes here And so uh, Qalam, Qalam for the last Four or five years, before COVID And obviously now, uh, makes an effort Every Thanksgiving to go to Aqsa The first group we took was 40 people Then we took 60, then we took 80 Then 100, and this year's 158 Or something like that, so inshallah by next year We're going to have 3,000 uh, It just keeps growing uh, and that's good. And that's good because the faces of these people when they see Americans and, you know, Westerners, Europeans coming to pray in Masjid Aqsa, it's like they just thought they were forgotten completely. Um, and so make dua, inshallah. And then also next year, if you want to join us, we'd love to have you. As such, we're not going to be having hard work next Monday. Actually, all of Roots Programming is going to be taking a break starting on uh, Sunday, inshallah. So Sunday, there's going to be a break all the way through next week uh, because we have a lot of different people that are traveling with Stada Fatima who teaches is going to be at Umrah, in Mecca Medina, uh, with Sheikh Mikhail. So he's not having a halakha this Wednesday either. I know he's not roots technically, but I'm just letting you all know, because I know there's a lot of overlap. So, what to do during this time? Uh, Just because something is not in session as a lecture, doesn't mean that you can't have growth. Okay? Listening is one thing, but I want you to remember something. You cannot grow and reflect while listening. Reflection happens after you've listened to something. While you're here listening, you're you're gathering, right? but you can't use what you've gathered until you process it. So whatever you're hearing, don't let this space be the end of your reflection. When you're driving home, when you're by yourself, set a regimen for yourself to think about how you can implement what you hear, what you listen to. Otherwise, it just becomes an event. And we don't want this to die here, we want this to be something that carries on and moves forward inshallah. So even though we have no hard work, there's still heart work you like that okay so we ask Allah to to accept i want you guys to have a great uh, break inshallah we ask Allah to accept and i'll see you guys inshallah when we return subhanak allahumma ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa isha is going to be in 7 minutes and unfortunately be, until we build out the middle you have to walk around inshallah so isha prayers in about 8 8 minutes so if you want to go pray inshallah please go ahead and we have to walk around